0: Welcome everyone to the Friends in Art uh, guest presentation with Deborah Kendrick. My name is Annie Trapetta. I'm a Friends in Art uh, board member. And today I am very pleased uh, to introduce a wonderful person, uh, wonderful writer. And Deborah, before we let you get into it, uh, I am going to do a little bit of your introduction for you.
1: Be- before, you start, before you start, may I give the beginning CEU code for you? Oh,
0: yes. Thank you, Monica.
1: Okay. The beginning CEU code is numbers 5, 4, as soon as I get a chance to find it again. Sorry, guys. Okay. I'll start again. 5, 4, 3, 9, the letter D as in Delta. Once again, 5439, the letter D as in Delta. And that's for people that signed up to receive credit.
0: Yes. All righty. Um, okay, Deborah Kendrick is an award winning writer, editor, and poet. In 1986, she launched a weekly column called Alive and Well in the Cincinnati Enquirer, the first of its kind to focus on disability rights. The column ran for 30 years in a variety of newspapers including syndication by King Features and it enjoyed its longest run in the Columbus Dispatch. In 1985, she created tactic a quarterly magazine covering access sorry covering access technology which enjoyed international readership she served as, she served as editor until 2000 when tactic was subsumed by the american foundation for the blind and it was uh, it was uh, subsumed uh, to launch access world where Deborah continues to serve as Senior Features Editor. Her work has appeared in dozens of national and regional publications, including Women's Day, Marriage and Family, Parenting, St. Anthony Messenger, Executive Lifestyles, Ohio Magazine, Independence Today News, Dialogue, Careers and the Disabled, and many others. Her work has been honored by the Society for Professional Journalists, the Ohio Arts Council, the Society for Technical Communications, the Association for Women Communicators, and others. Her most treasured awards include the Maurice Maurice McCracken Peace and Justice Award, Try Saying That 10 times fast, the AFB Access Award, the Inclusion Network Lifetime Achievement Award, and the ED Equality, Dignity, and Independence Award from the National Easter Seal Society. Deborah has served on numerous nonprofit boards and governor appointed councils, most recently, Guide Dogs for the Blind and the Cincinnati. Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. In 2019, her book, Navigating Healthcare, When All They Can See is That You Can't, was published by the National Braille Press. And just recently, her newest book, When Your Ears Can't See, was released in 2020. So everyone, welcome, Deborah Kendrick.
2: Well, thank you so much, Annie. Um, well, now that you did that, I don't have to say anything. <laughs> you did it all. Uh, no, really, that was very nice. Thank you. As as You're we welcome. were talking about um, beforehand, uh, I well, let me say first of all that um, for those of you who were close to and knew Lynn Heddle that I offer you my condolences. I did not know Lynn until uh, she called to have a conversation with me about this workshop today. And subsequently, she and I had a couple of very lengthy, very lovely conversations because we recognized immediately in one another some kindred spirit material going on. And honestly... When I saw the announcement that she had died, my first thought was, oh, how embarrassing for the person who made that mistake. I know Lynn didn't die. I just talked to her a couple of days ago. And she sounded quite lively. So um, I'm sure that's how many of you who knew her must have felt. And um, I just wanted to express that at the beginning, that I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, Then the other thing that Annie and I were talking about just a few minutes ago is that the only other time that I have heard, attended the Friends in Art Showcase was many years ago. Um, And those of you who have been in Friends in Art for a while will know exactly when and will be correcting me with the year. I'm going to guess it was 99, 2000, something like that. But it was the year that Gordon Kent, proposed to Janice Peterson on stage, and um, I was sitting with uh, Debbie Kent Stein, who is Gordon's sister, who's a long, 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 long time friend, and I just remember just being so astonished at the brilliance and the talent. So knowing that I was going to be talking to Friends in Art today, I, I listened to the showcase. I actually listened to part of it while it was being aired virtually, and then I downloaded the podcast and listened to the whole thing yesterday, and wow, what a lot of talent. Just amazing, amazing, the amount of talent. So, um, so here we are, <laughs> and uh, I'm supposed to talk about my career. Um, what Lynn and I talked about was my talking about the, the various kinds of writing that I've done how i get my ideas the process of writing and any advice that i might have to offer so um apropos of absolutely nothing i'm sometimes called a journalist and i guess i am but i um i realized a couple a year or two ago i i i did this thing for the american printing house for the blind and um, M- Michael Hudson, who invited me, referred to me as a journalist. And I said, no, no, call me a writer. No, I'm not a journalist, a writer. And I don't know why I prefer the term writer. But I think um, that it's because journalist connotes um, one who gathers facts, assembles them, and presents them, which indeed I do. But... Writer has more of an implication of artistry and journalism certainly can be artistic and beautiful. And I would like to believe that much of mine has been. But for that reason, I think of myself first as a writer. I always wanted to be a writer from the time I was a little kid. Uh, I can remember telling people as young as second and third grade that I would be a writer when I grew up. But I also really loved music. And I think many of us who are involved in any art form find ourselves attracted to many. There have you know, been phases in my life when I played with sculpture and weaving and various kinds of um, fabric crafts and um, But when I was in college and graduate school, there was an era where I played guitar and sang and wrote folk songs and protest songs and uh, sang in a lot of coffee houses and bars and that sort of thing. And I think that for a brief moment, I imagined that I might be following in the footsteps of of Joan Baez, Judy Collins. But I also think that while it wasn't a conscious decision in retrospect, I've long known that what must have happened was that I must have had a sort of subconscious epiphany that while I could be a mediocre musician, I might be able to be a really excellent writer. And um, and I miss the music by the way. And, and, bought a ukulele a couple years ago and have my guitars nearby and keep thinking I'm going to get all that out and play some more but um but so from from music, my next step pretty much was poetry, and I wrote a fair amount of poetry um, I would guess I was trying to think about the the eras I've always written so much and so widely and that is one of my number one pieces of advice by the way for anyone who is a writer or wants to be and w- or wants to be published is write profusely um, because it's like anything else the more you do the more proficient and polished and poised you become so but there was an era where I, I wrote a number of poems and um I remember getting a letter completely out of the blue that a professor at Kent State University was going to gather what he called a collection of tough-minded poetry about disability. This was in the mid-'80s. People weren't really talking yet much about disability. We were, but we were talking about it backstage, if you will, behind the scenes in groups uh, with one another, but not publicly. And he wanted to find poetry by and about people with the experience of disability. And um, I was very fortunate that three of my poems were included in that anthology. It's called Toward Solomon's Mountain, And it was published by Temple University Press. It has some really fine material in it. Uh, Several, I think maybe 20, 25 poets. And I didn't even realize that it had been um, narrated by the National Library Service until about a year ago. I was wandering around Bard looking for something else, and I found it. And it was such a thrill to download it. Um, Then there was another Um, publication produced by feminist press that specifically gathered material by women with disabilities, poetry and essays and stories. Um, And I was reminded of that again recently by a rabbit hole experience that I might include a bit later if there's time. So I did these poems and, and I, and I, um, Uh, I was privileged to be selected for a small Ohio Arts Council grant one summer that I was one of the poets chosen to do readings in a park in Columbus called the Park of Roses. And that then led to some other things where I was doing lots of readings at universities and that sort of thing. And, And it was great fun. And Yes, I made a little bit of money, but I had two young children, and I needed to generate some serious income or go back to work, which I didn't want to do. So um, I started submitting articles to magazines, and I always say that had I not been fortunate enough that my earliest submissions were purchased, I would be talking about something entirely different today today because I don't handle rejection very well, but my earliest submissions were purchased, and um, I then began writing for a number of magazines, uh, some in Cincinnati and Ohio, um, some national. In the beginning, I didn't touch disability. Um, Story for another day, but I'd had a very negative experience where I had landed a job and then been refused the job when the hiring manager met me with my guide dog and realized that I was blind. And it was such a degrading, humiliating experience that early on in my writing career, I didn't write about disability. Now, this was before the internet. So I was sending my submissions through the mail, good old snail mail, speaking with editors on the phone. So, you know, (laughs) people can't tell over the phone that you're blind. Um, But then I had kind of a breakthrough experience at one point where some friends begged me to write something about disability for a religious publication in Cincinnati. And I caved under the pressure and I wrote it. And it was... Thrilling because of course we all can write best what we know best, and I know disability. So, um, and I, I interviewed a lot of people for that piece, and everyone was saying, in different ways, but they were expressing the same feelings that I had about disability. Is that you know I I don't want to be marginalized. I don't want to be sidelined, and I also don't want to be um, spotlighted just because I have this difference that wasn't anything I chose. I just want a place at the table. And that led to this notion of writing a column for a larger audience. But I didn't want to write, I didn't want to write a Dear Abby column, what do you do when you meet somebody in a wheelchair? And I didn't want to write uh, Q&A, like, how do I get a handicapped parking sticker? I wanted to write serious commentary. I wanted to do an op-ed. At the time, my commentary heroes were Linda Ellerby and Anna Quinlan and Ellen Goodman. Those were that I wanted to do what they did, but with a disability hook. And I think Annie mentioned in the introduction that I um, was honored by the Society for the professional, professional Journalists. And that award was probably one of the most um, uh, treasured by me because um, I was chosen um, first place for beat reporting because after I'd been doing my column for a while, I thought, I said to somebody, you know, disability is like any other beat. And I realized, yeah, I should, I should um, enter a submission and be reporting and sure enough, I, I won. So that was pretty thrilling. So what I learned, what I determined early on was that, and I think this applies more broadly to writing of any kind, artistry of any kind, that if it was all about me or even all about the disability that I know best, blindness, It was going to wear old it was going to i was going to run out um and i thought if this is going to be an op-ed about disability then i need to include all disabilities so i made it um my business to get involved with all disabilities I was already somewhat involved in advocacy as it pertains to blindness but I started getting involved in gatherings of um people with multiple, scler- multiple sclerosis and diabetes and deafness and spina bifida and finding those people and talking to them and and you know and and as a, a consequence I was appointed to a number of um, governor-appointed positions on um, councils that related to all disabilities. I knew that I was getting it right, that I was doing what I wanted to do when I began being asked to speak or was honored by the National Associations for Mental Illness, for Deafness, um, for lung, the, the Lung Association, Down Syndrome Association, those kinds of accolades meant so much to me because it meant that I was getting it right, that I was getting stories right. And that, by the way, is what, no matter what kind of writing I'm doing, whether I'm writing about technology for Access World or back when I was writing a lot of pieces for parenting and marriage and family or writing my newspaper column. What I love to do is tell stories. Sometimes they're my stories, but usually they're other people's stories. I I heard an editor speak once at a, a writer's gathering in Cincinnati. I was just a person in the audience, but she was telling people how she made assignments and how she made decisions about what would go into the publication. And I just remember this thrill, this absolute shiver of joy when she said, for example, if I want to profile an individual, if I want a story about a person, then the writer I call is Deborah Kendrick because when she writes about a person, you can see that person sitting in front of you. And that was just so, that just, it means everything to me even when I think about it. And that was probably 20 years ago. So I've I've done a lot of different kinds of writing. Annie mentioned in the introduction, I founded a magazine called Tactic in 1985 that ran for 15 years until it was acquired by the American Foundation for the Blind. And it was a very very complimentary situation because their research had indicated that the market was too small for two technology publications. So the only way to launch one was to acquire the one that existed. So that's what happened. And I've been part of Access World ever since. And, and I love it because Access World, we have a whole team of people working on all different kinds of articles. So that's been a lot of fun. And I think people who only know me because of Access World have the mistaken idea that I'm, I'm a geek. I'm sort of a geek but I, I don't know how to write code. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I say I, I, I am experienced with a lot of technological tools because if you're going to write about them, you have to understand them, but I mostly love what technology, uh, can, can do for us. Oh, I had in my notes that I wanted to talk about some of the things back to the newspaper column. Um, that there were lots of thrilling moments and opportunities that I had. And then there were lots of humiliating moments (laughs) as well. So some of the thrilling moments, um, probably the most notable was that I was invited not once, but actually twice, once as an advocate and once as a journalist to On the same occasion, mind you, two invitations to the White House for the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990. And I, there were many blind people there and there were other blind people who write, but I was the only person who was blind who was there to get a page one story for a large metropolitan daily newspaper. So that was pretty thrilling. Other high moments were when I landed exclusive interviews with people like Heather Whitestone, probably that name means nothing um, to anyone here, but in 1994, she was the first deaf person to be crowned Miss America. And um, I was terrified. I had a one-on-one interview with her and we were in this room alone. She wanted nobody else in there. And I was so afraid we wouldn't be able to communicate, but we did indeed. Um, And I had an exclusive um, meeting with Christopher Reeve when, after he had um, broken his neck and, and become quadriplegic, uh, was really thrilling to meet Chris Burke. Again, maybe no one here remembers that name. He's an actor with Down syndrome who um, had a TV show that was a real favorite of mine back in the 90s. Uh, a couple humiliating moments. Once the um, American Occupational Therapists Association invited me to their conference powwow to give me an award, and I Only had to come for the award ceremony and leave. And so I went with my then husband. We stood in the back of the room. And when they said my name, I came forward. And one thing I might say as an aside, as a writer who is blind, is that um, sometimes my um, obsession with independence has not served me as well as it might have. So they called my name. I started walking forward. It was a huge room. You've all been in these rooms. Um, And I'm walking forward, forward, forward toward the sound of the person speaking. And uh, suddenly, thank God, somebody grabbed me. I was walking toward the sound of the speaker, which was actually about 20 feet to the right of the podium. (laughs) <laughs> it was the sound source, so um, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a sparkling moment. Um, so, at any rate, there were lots of other kinds of writing that I did while doing the newspaper column. Um, I play with numbers, by the way, and I, I was I was playing with numbers of words this morning. I don't know what led my mind down this path, but I thought, I wonder how many words I've published. And um, apparently it's a couple million because the newspaper columns alone would be about a million words. So that's a lot of ink. Um, So while I was doing the newspaper column every week, I was also doing other magazine pieces and and the technology stuff. And and I uh, did some books for the American Foundation for the Blind but, um, so th- we're going to fast forward to three years ago in one month in 20, 2016 was a really good year for me. A lot of good things were happening. And I bought a condo in Florida in order to have a place to stay when I visit my daughter who had gotten married and had a few kids. And, um, and I sold my house and I rented a four story townhouse in Cincinnati And in one month, in the month of October of that year, I went hiking for a week with a bunch of wonderful women in Toronto. I did a road trip with my youngest daughter to visit my oldest daughter in Florida, who had just given birth to twins. And I went to California for my eighth guide dog. And about a month after receiving said guide dog, one morning I landed on my back um, when my femur had snapped in two. So they say life changes on a dime, and mine did indeed. I went from being super active and working probably 80 hours a week, by the way, which I had decided Shortly before that to to change to um, what was a long siege of hospitals and short term rehab and wheelchairs and walkers and after one year of that, I was almost back to normal when I stepped off a staircase in a Nevada hotel and started the process all over again so um, after five surgeries, three hospitals, two short-term rehab facilities, and uh, a lot of medical interactions. I was reminded that the best way to deal with an experience for me is to write about it and to share what I've learned and going back to write what we know and knowing that it's all material, life is material. And that brings us to my uh, relationship with the national rail press and Cassell Wilson, who was just an absolutely wonderful editor and thus my first book with NBP navigating healthcare when all they can see is that you can't was released, uh, I think in December. Yeah. At the end of 2019. And, um, Subsequently, writing about another experience that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. My book on combined vision and hearing loss was just released a few weeks ago, also by National Braille Press. These two books, um, I want to say they're a little bit different from other kinds of things that I've written, but... Maybe not so much. They're a combination of personal experience, observation, a lot of research. And I think what may put them in a category somewhat by themselves is that I feel as though they are my gifts, (laughs) my my, uh, labors of love, if you will, to my blind and low vision friends and family everywhere. Because... In each of them, they're both more about advocacy than anything else. One, advocating for yourself, taking charge of yourself in the medical arena, and the other, taking what you already know about vision loss and applying it to hearing loss so that you keep living a full life when you have both sensory impairments.
3: Um,
2: So back to... um, that conversation with Lynn and what she wanted me to talk about. Talk about what I've written. I have told you some of that. Um, How I get ideas. Well, the answer to that is live, have a life and ideas are everywhere. When I was doing my newspaper column, I never had trouble coming up with an idea. I had trouble choosing an idea because every week there were so many. Um, And then The process of writing, my own is, I'm always sort of writing in my head. And so frequently, the more quickly I can get it down, the better. But otherwise, I don't think I have any rituals per se, as so many writers do. Except sometimes, um, as as Stephen King has said, you know, you, you write to figure out what you think about something. I definitely do that. And then finally, any advice that I might have for others would just be, if you want to be a writer, you have first, you must be a reader. Read, 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 read. And as reading material has become more accessible to me over the years, I find I'm, I'm so obsessed and addicted to reading material in every possible format and I think much of that is because it was so scarce when I was younger or so much more scarce um, and then the other piece of advice would be um, read profusely and write profusely some we all write differently for me I don't do lots of drafts. I pretty much think about a thing so much that when I write it, that's 95% of the finished product. Not everyone works that way. And the more you write, the more proficient, the more flowing, the more beautiful your writing will become. And I think anyone involved in any kind of art form would say the same thing. So, um, I guess one final thing before we open up to questions and I do indeed hope there are questions because that's the best part is that if there is any single theme of all the work that I have done and am doing, it's social justice. Um, So there's so much to write about in our world right now that I uh, stopped doing the column a few years ago And lately I have been thinking a lot about so much to say that there's so much that I need to say, want to say in creative nonfiction that um, I'm toying with the idea of of launching a blog again, but at any rate, um, thank you so much for listening. If you're still there because I never did find the participant list. So Monica, I hope you'll, Tell me first, if anybody's here, and how many anybody's are with us. Yes. And secondly, if we
1: have any raised hands. (laughs) Yes, there are people here. Can you hear me good? All right. Okay, so I want to let you know, in case you're not sure, but you're figuring it out, how to raise your hand. It is Alt-Y if you're on a PC. If you're on a Mac, it is Command Options Y. If you're on a regular phone with a keypad, it is Star Nine. And if you are on the app, you should see a raised hand option. So I have a question for you, if you don't mind. Sure. My question is, I had two and one, I forgot. Okay. Um, Do you have any, (laughs) well, the one that comes to mind is, do you have any special place that you write? I remember the second one. And you said you like to read. Do you have a favorite genre you like to read or give us two or three? Uh. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh!
2: I read everything from classics to total trash. Um, so I read mysteries. I read romance. I read lots of nonfiction. Um, I like to read books about writing, uh, poetry. I you know, but but I c- things come in in fits and starts. I I do have. Um, I guess I do have a number of, of favorite authors. And, and sometimes, um, well, Stephen King is an example. When Stephen King was new and hot and everything, I read I read The Shining, and it scared the crap out of me. And I thought, I am never reading him again. He's a lunatic. So, you know, a couple decades went by, and I read 112263, and I thought, just the opposite he's brilliant and so now I'm I am just a huge Stephen King fan but I still don't read all that all that scary stuff so much but um so and a special place and that Stephen King is just one person gosh in the early years I was in love with Virginia Woolf and, and I guess I still am um contemporary writers Jodie um, Jodi um I don't know just so many of them I do not have a special place. Um, currently, I'm really glad that Zoom allows you to turn your video off because I have a really large laundry room, and my laundry room is my office. <laughs> <I have laughs> I have this probably gigantic- not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I have this gigantic cherry desk. And I am not a neat writer. I mean, every inch of it is always covered with all sorts of pieces of technology and books and folders and nonsense. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's that's where I write now. If if there were any like you know superstitions for me about my writing over the years, I have had attachments to different means of writing. When I was young, I thought the only way I could write beautifully was with a slate and stylus. And later, I thought the only way I could write beautifully was with a Braille writer. And later, I thought the only way I could write beautifully was with my Versa Braille, and so on and so on. So I get attached to note takers and laptops that I think, oh, I write better with this piece of equipment, which is a little bit crazy but you know
0: that comes Never. this is annie i i think you just progressed with with the technology as the technology progressed so did you and you and exactly you find it as a barrier at all you just went exactly. right with it and that's uh that's that's wonderful yeah. awesome
1: yeah. so the first person i will go to is michael byington you should be able hey. to talk hi michael hey you <laughs> hello
4: there
5: I don't know if you even remember this part of your very busy day in Washington on July 6, 1990 or not, but one of my greatest life memories that will always stay with me is happening to have bumped into you as we were leaving the ADA signing area and getting to walk with you over to where you sent that article that made page one uh, out uh, and watching all of the technology work at that time. I don't remember if you were on a Braille and speak or maybe one of the. I Braille-
2: was! Michael, oh, that's so wonderful that you remember that. You know, that whole experience. I had an editor at the paper just for a short time, and it happened to be at that time who did not like me even a little bit. He didn't want this disability stuff. And he was really angry that the publisher said I should go when I showed them my invitation. And he said, you call me and dictate that story to me. You can't write it and send it on time. And so I worked really hard. It was a Braille and Speak paired with an old dial-up modem. (laughs) So, yeah, awesome. Oh, that's so awesome that you have that memory. Thank you.
5: Do you have a question, too? Yes, I do. I I actually wrote about that on something that I published on Facebook, but uh, I don't pretend to in any way stand up to your writing skills. I do have a question related to that, though. I'm finding in semi-retirement that I seem to get lots of opportunities to write stuff. I edit our affiliate newsletter, and uh, there are several other uh, types of writing I have been asked to do including being published on a couple of erotica websites, I have to uh, admit. But uh, (laughs) I I find Um. that my opportunities are all in that of giving my writing away. And that's probably okay. I never have aspired to it being a profession. But you talked about the fact that you might be doing something else entirely if your early articles had not been accepted by the magazines that you submitted them to. And I would just be curious about that transition that a writer uh, goes through in giving it away and then getting paid for it, and how much you still give away, given the fact that you have developed such a, uh, an impressive professional resume. Thank you.
2: Well, Thank you, Michael. it was a mix at the beginning of how I did write, For free at the beginning. Um, I I did news the first, let's see, the first job I had, I wrote a newsletter for that agency before they hired me to teach. And then I was part of launching the first the radio reading services in Cincinnati. And because it was a passion, I wrote the newsletter, I wrote brochures for them. I wrote press releases, and at the same time, I was reading every issue of the Writer magazine, which, if there was ever, that was my, I had degrees in English literature, but how I learned to write for markets and to sell my work was reading the Writer magazine, Um, and so in reading it, I learned about studying publications that you would like to see your byline in, and simultaneously, I was writing these press releases as a volunteer for radio reading services. And it dawned on me that when I wrote a press release, the whole thing was published, not just a couple sentences. And I thought, I'm on to something here. I must be doing this right. So that was encouragement. And then I kept, um, some of you may know that I was... um, I was involved in the the Playboy lawsuit back in 1984, 85, um, and 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 part of my being included in that was that I had made the comment to someone that Playboy at the time was the only available magazine in braille that 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 um, published complex articles and yeah you open yourself up to lots of amusement and lots of jokes but I really did read it for the articles and I read it to see those articles in Braille and to see the shapes and the punctuation of the paragraphs because that was the way I wanted to write and and I couldn't get the New Yorker and I um I don't think Harper's was available then But so that was the magazine that I remember reading and the kinds of writing that I wanted to emulate. So, and maybe a different drive, Michael, is that, you know, you don't need money. I did need money because I had two little kids and I either had to go back to teaching and have somebody else watch my kids or I had to make this writing thing pay off. So I wrote, I wrote a lot of kind of funky stuff, but so i was just sending being prolific sending it out in every direction and and you know again fortunately for me i sent the right things to the right places and checks came back instead of rejection slips um i have deepest admiration for writers who first collected rejection slips and many of the finest writers anywhere, that has been their first experience. It just wasn't mine. And I'm not going to say that's because, or even imagine for a moment, that's because I was so talented. I was, it was, it was certainly talent had something to do with it, but it was also luck that I, I studied the markets. I sent the right piece or the right query letter to the right place at the right time, and it worked. So if you really want to do that, study the publications you want to be in, and then and then write a letter that focuses on what you can write, but make it clear that you're familiar with the publication because that will be the number one criticism that any editor anywhere will tell you of things they get that they don't purchase is that people don't know their markets. You know, So like, you know, obvious, ridiculous example, you wouldn't send an article about, you know, best and most efficient oil changes to um, good housekeeping. I don't think you would anyway, or, you know, (laughs) or, or, you know, how to build a perfect cabinet. Well, you wouldn't send that to, you know, a knitting magazine. So, but those are obvious and, and where people don't spend enough time is in reading. Reading the
1: markets. Awesome. Our next question comes from the last four digits seven two seven six.
6: Yes. Uh, you know, I, I'm fascinated by. Who are the you? The fact that Dave Trevino from Delaware. Hi. And uh, I'm fascinated by the fact that as technology evolved, you grew with it. Uh, early on, uh, did you find the unavailability or, the, or the, the lack of availability of braille paper to be a, a hindrance to you?
2: Of braille publications or blank braille paper?
6: Blank braille
2: paper. Mm. No, I, um, when I was, uh, well, I I was, I lost my sight right before the first grade. So, so I, when I started school, I was in a resource classroom and I was in that resource classroom for five years. So I learned all the basics, you know, and I was, I was an immediate reader. I, I figured, you know, I was wired to read whatever format. And it turned out to be Braille. So um, when I got booted out of the nest, and it was because of a a crowd problem, there were too many children. They had too many children. So they had me go to my neighborhood school, which wasn't ready for me. And um, once a week, they sent me back to that other school just be with my beloved teacher who also didn't know what to do with me anymore. So she did two wonderful things. She had me work with the typing book to increase my speed. And she bought me a book called key to grade three Braille. And she said, I'm not going to learn this because I don't need it. You know, she was cited, but she said, you will one day. Well, so I learned it because my teacher told me to. So all through high school, and college and graduate school, I took all my notes in spiral notebooks in grade three braille with a slate and stylus. And I have to say, I mean, I was really, really fast. I mean, I can, I could. And later, I was still using the slate when I started my writing career. I can get direct quotes um, writing that way. So, um, so I didn't need braille. I mean, I didn't, I didn't use braille paper uh, when I. Let's see. When I was using the Perkins Brailler when I started writing, yeah, I was writing on typing. I was typing on typing paper. <laughs> so, um, the bad news of that is, after many years of being squashed in boxes and whatnot, you know, I have found exactly notebooks of early writing, and I can't read them. I can't read them anymore. They're yeah, flattened. That's
6: that's that's why I I never resorted to to print paper because I knew of its lack of mortality. And yeah. Yeah. I wrote on cardstock junk mail and and people were saying, well, yeah, "What's, you yeah, oh, what's the what's this uh, coupon?" Uh, oh, yeah, I you, haven't you, got it, friend, you got it in didn't... braille, don't you? At, at, as, yeah. and I remember one time, one time uh this is one of my one of my best stories. I, I was throwing out the trash and I ran into a bunch of card stock. I reached my hand into the dumpster to throw away the trash and ran into a bunch of card – what looked like card stock. <clears throat> Later, I discovered it was pornographic pictures. But I wrote <laughs> some advertising copy on it to present to a, uh, a meeting of uh, uh, an account executive at Bonanza Family Restaurants or an ad agency I was working at. And, and of course, it would be so much better to write on the glossy side of the paper. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) well, that didn't go over real well. uh, (laughs)
2: It's funny, though. So, Dave, I have to tell you, hearing your voice, um, I have a memory that I have held for many, many years of you and Brenda harmonizing, singing a song about a foster child on a tape that was circulating, a circulating tape for parents, probably 30 years ago. And uh, hearing your oh, voice. Oh, I just
6: can't catch on to letting go, I think. It was yeah,
2: the... that's right. I can hear it in my head right now after all these years. It was beautiful. Anyway, I just had to tell you that because you sound the same.
1: <laughs> no, my so what else have we got monica yes thank you dave for your question the next last four digits are one six nine five
3: monica you should know it's me hi Hi, i was like how do you not know um Who, who are you <laughs> Sorry, Monica knows who I was like, Hey, um, it's Allie. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and Deb, I don't know if you remember, but I did talk to you once. Um it was on a tech dogs conference call and uh, I gave you some information that you didn't have for the meeting. And um anyway I have two questions. One is is any of your writing on bookshare? Yeah, um,
2: for AFB Press, I did a series of books called Jobs That Matter, um, and the books they they were never put on um, on Bard because AFB this is really unfortunate. You know, AFB Press was in the business of um, making money, and so they <laughs> kind of ironic when you think about it. But they didn't let their books go to be recorded by the Library of Congress. So, um, but someone, and I don't know who, it wasn't me, someone um, bought those books and uploaded them to Bookshare, some of them, they're not all there, but some of the Jobs That Matter books are on Bookshare, and I actually, um, it's kind of cool, it's funny, you know, I am the most disorganized person on the planet, (laughs) and so I don't have I would say 95% of all the stuff I've written over the years, I don't have, have it. Um, uh-huh. So I went on to bookshare myself and downloaded my uh, business owner's book uh, several months ago. And I was all happy that it was there because I could read it again. I wanted to see what I, who, who was in it. Cause somebody told me they thought they had been in it and I couldn't remember. And so uh, things like that happen. Like, you know, somebody, um, will tell me that they read such and such an article. So I Google myself with that topic and see if I can find it.
1: (laughs) What's your next question,
2: (laughs) And I'm sure that... the the short answer is yes, a few of them were on Bookshare.
3: And I'm sure that... Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I'm sure that, you know, um, a, a lot of times that, well, all of the time, actually, the books that are put on Bookshare, they're put on by volunteers who scan books.
2: Right. That's right. That's right. So,
3: okay. Um,
2: Monica, do we, I mean, yes. I don't oh, have any idea two. how many hands
1: are up. We, Should we be?
2: We have two? seven.
3: So, oh, Allie, okay. if
1: you ask your next question. Then.
3: Okay. Yes. Um, this is kind of a weird one, but um, I know I'm not the only one that asks this. Is there a, like, a drink or a snack that you always kind of have on hand when you're writing?
2: Nope, coffee in the morning and wine at night. <laughs> and it used to be, okay, I used to say there was this delicate balance among my beverages, coffee in the morning, Mountain Dew in the afternoon, and wine at night. I gave up the Mountain Dew. I'm trying to be healthier. <laughs>
1: so, okay. All right.
2: Enough of that. Um, okay, go ahead, Monica. There's seven. We better get moving.
1: Peter
7: Hi, this is Peter Alcho from Columbia, Missouri. Hey, Deb. Hi. Hi. I just, I I wanted to say two things to you. The first thing is uh, my first ACB convention in 1987, I thought you were the coolest person in the universe. You were the only person that remotely interested me during the entire convention with your Playboy lawsuit that you (laughs) would do. Um, (laughs) um, As as a Playboy reader, and I actually wrote, wrote a blog about this a while back, you know, I I was horrified that that Playboy would be would be banned, essentially. Right. And right. I was oh, so, I remember hearing about the lawsuit and your name. I thought, wow, that's the coolest woman ever. <laughs> and <laughs>
8: well, thank and, you, and,
7: and thank you for for doing that. I mean, you know, that's a you know that was a major. You weren't the only person who liked Playboy for the articles, although I like.
6: There um, was
2: a professional risk at the time, which not many you know. people know, but it doesn't matter now. At the time. Um, This was before I was doing my newspaper column, but I had a regular gig with a Catholic newspaper. I was not on staff, but I was a contributing writer, you know, and they'd send me around to write about school programs and artists in residency and church festivals. And I called my editor. So I had to get bishop permission. the, The bishop of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati had to give me permission to go to that press conference and testify on behalf of Playboy. (laughs) And the deal was, yes, it's okay. You have our blessing, but don't tell anybody you work for us. Uh So that was the deal.
7: (laughs) Anyway, I I, I would just say, uh, of of all, the one thing I remember most clearly about the 1987 AC convention was that, was that, was that presentation that you did. The other thing I just wanted to say to you is, um, you mentioned that you uh, always knew you wanted to be a writer while growing up. I always knew I did not want to be a writer growing up. I hated to write. Wow. I still you don't fix that. Great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I still don't particularly enjoy writing, but it's something I, I've grown to accept that I do pretty well, and, and I do it. I, I, I and I wanted to thank you, um, and by extension, syndicated columnist weekly, because I read most of your stuff uh, through syndicated columnists. And I, I learned from reading not just your pieces, but lots, lots of other pieces, the, the power of, of writing uh, punchily and uh, in as few words as possible. And you do, it, you do valuable things I've learned.
2: Very well. I have read a number of your blogs and you, you do it very well. And I know I've heard you say that someone gave you a 600 word. That was the best advice Yep. that anyone could give you know i i learned it the hard way in the newspaper business early on because they would tell you x number of inches which translated to x number of words and i realized very quickly that if if i wrote too long somebody else was going to cut it and i wasn't going to like their cut nearly you know it's it better to cut it yourself and have it be the way you wanted it because sometimes if it didn't fit they just lop off the last four paragraphs and then your piece doesn't even make sense. So, um, and in a blog, you know, you, you, you don't have that of course, but by keeping it tight, people read it, you know, people don't want to read lengthy, lengthy things. So yeah, you, yeah, I've, I've, you, you've become a really fine writer. So
1: thank you. Thanks Peter. Um, we have about 15 minutes left, and the next person has the last four digits of
8: 0869. Hi, um, this is Donna Slowaski from Brooklyn, New York, and Deborah, I just want to tell you I have been an admirer of you personally and your writing for many years, and I will never forget the first article that I read of yours. That was, My Children Know, I See With My Hands, and that was printed in the Ziegler magazine. I was so oh. impressed by that wonderful article, and I had a friend who was blind and had just had a baby and so I passed the article along to her and oh, um, yeah. uh, wow. Thank i you. I was a subscriber to tactic for fifteen years i I still oh. have the first two issues just as a, a a memorial to that wonderful magazine. I love the way um i they what is the name of that association in, in Cincinnati that used to braille it? I liked how they had all of the four signs out. They made uh, a, uh, a frame out of it was four a, signs it was a, outlining the cover.
2: It was a contest that I had at the beginning when I started the magazine. I wanted the cover to be tactically unique, and so we had a contest for designing the cover, and and one of the people in production came up with that cover I loved it, too. Well, thank it you
1: so perfect.
8: much, it said, it Donna. Said, it said tactic right in the center of it, but it was all done in four signs and print exactly. letters so that a sighted yes. person would be able to read the, the um Uh, cover of the magazine and I I still have it and also I want to thank you I I haven't published many articles at all in my life I think only two and uh, one of them was uh, an article of mine that you published in Tactic and it was all about CD Connection, an online place where we could order CDs from and that was in the uh, early 90s so thank you so much Deborah it's it's always an honor to, to hear you speak
2: Thank you. Tell now, Donna. I'm sorry. What is your last name? Tell me your last name again.
1: I'm sorry, she is muted. Um, she
2: muted. Do you see it? Because remember, I'm the techno I actually, failure. Who couldn't.
1: I only see her her phone number? So okay. if she, well, then, phone
2: Donna. Phone. I'm just going to say this at the end. I'll give my some contact info, and I hope you'll write to me and tell me your name, because. um I'm really curious. I wish I would love to see that article I wrote about my kids. I don't remember it. I don't have it. I mean, it sounds like something I would write for sure. But um, okay, who else we got? Okay,
1: next we have Teresa Christian.
4: You should see something to unmute on your screen. Can you hear me now? (laughs) Yes. Um, Hi, Deborah. I bought your last two books, and I'm really ecstatic to get to talk to you. Um, real quick note about Braille paper. Uh, it would take three or four weeks to get the official Braille paper from said supplier. So I would go to uh, Staples and get cardstock. So I had very beautiful. <laughs> I
2: started doing that a few years ago. I mean, I don't have much need for Braille paper, but right. at Walmart, you can get a pack. of really nice cardstock for like $4. Yeah.
4: Like and that's and expensive. Yeah. Um, I got very bad grades in school for writing, so I never thought I would be a writer for anything, <laughs> and I moved to Oregon and suddenly found myself being the editor of our ACB state newsletter, which kind of interesting. Well, so I've been published. Learned, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You learn by doing, right? I do, yes. <laughs> so now I've been published in a few anthologies, and I'm about to have my first book published, and um, I don't know if you've had this problem or other people, but... Um, it's a print book, and I'm having to be part of designing the cover, and I am really struggling with it, and struggling with getting good, you know, cited help to, for the graphics. Just, yeah, um, I I
2: have not all of my books. You know, I was was paid to write them, and somebody else designed the cover. I guess if I could have had input, so that's not an experience that I've had, okay. but um there is besides finding other writers here there are a couple of wonderful groups well first of all there's a gdb writers group if you happen to have a guide dog um yep. and then there's writers party line um which annie is involved with and could send you some information there are a lot of people in behind that our eyes yeah. self-published okay. and um uh and I, you know what else? There's a couple that a lot of people um, have used DLD books, and part of what they do, they will edit for you if you're blind, and, you know, I don't know exactly what all they do, but they help put it in the right format for self-publishing, and I think help you design a cover, and, um, yeah, and Annie, if... Probably has all that information. Yeah,
0: uh, I can give out my email address. And if you have questions about that, I'll be glad to um, help you out. So, so I helped I, yeah, help design all my book covers with BLD books. I was part of the process and I can't thank them enough for that.
1: Um, the next question is from Chris Coulter. Chris, you should be allowed to talk. Mm-hmm.
4: Hello.
3: Uh-huh.
4: Yeah. Uh, 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 Deborah, I have noticed reading some of your articles and, and even in your speech, you have, you have such a, a rich kind of imagery and, and you, you, you describe things well. And I'm wondering, have you thank ever you. reviewed, thank, you're welcome, but have you ever reviewed um, music or movies or other art, art, art type work?
6: I had
2: um a couple of thrilling mo- you know, I said I, the, the column was launched in the Cincinnati Inquirer and I did some other things for them. I may have done a few book reviews, but the thrilling ones were I did a couple play reviews and it was so fun to do these play review theater reviews and they had a long time theater critic and probably one of the most treasured letters, but again I'm not organized so I don't have it anymore. But the Director of the professional playhouse in Cincinnati sent me this letter and said, Jackie, whatever her name was move over Deborah Kendrick is here. (laughs) I'm like, "Woo! yeah, okay. But um, so thank you very much for that. I guess that really means a lot to me because I haven't done much of that. But when I have done it, it was, it's really a lot of fun.
1: So thank you.
7: Thank Thank
1: you, Chris. Um, Alan Lumley. You have the next question for Deborah.
7: Yeah, I,
5: I just wanna make a comment. Uh publicly thank you, Deborah, for your uh, your your work is uh you know I, I've been losing my vision for the last twenty years and a a lot of those access world articles really helped me because uh it, it was obvious that uh, you could do anything you wanted to, even if you didn't have eyesight and keep on doing what you're doing because uh you, you like you say, you live life and you put it in words and it helps the rest of us. So thanks a lot.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, the next person to have a comment or question is Brian. Brian, you should see something asking you to unmute on your screen. All
4: right. Yes, uh, I'm here and I've got a couple of questions. First, what is your current favorite technolo- technology that you use that you that you're that you're currently addicted to for writing? And the other question then is, have you know? You say you read everything. Have you ever considered writing any kind of fiction for you know? I mean, anything. I mean, it, you know, not not as your major thing maybe, but just as as you know, some at some point for yes. something. Yes. cool Thank you for asking.
2: Um, I've always wanted to write fiction. It's what I thought I would do when I finished um, my master's degree, but then life intervened and I had to make money. So I was teaching and then writing for magazines and stuff. But um, just recently, I've joined a small writers group um, locally where I am, and um, I have begun working on a piece of fiction, my hesitation was, I didn't, I didn't want to write about blindness. Because, you know, everybody does that. And that's fine. That's fine. But it's so difficult to write about blindness and not have it be um, the blind hero, or the blind, amazing magician. And, and yet I have a story to tell that I feel um, this particular story, part of its strength is if it's told from a blind character's perspective. So I'm getting some help with that with a, a, a guy in the group who's a retired writing professor. So he's, I mean, his help has just been, go ahead and do it, put it in, stop worrying about it. So that's good. I need that encouragement. Um <laughs> <laughs> so, <All right. laughs> I'm sorry, Brian, I think you asked another part and I forgot what it was because, you know, I'm getting older. What was it? Oh, I forgot.
1: Um, it <laughs> well, how about we go on to Darian and if we can, we'll get back to Brian. I like okay. to say that there's about four minutes or five minutes left mm-hmm. and I want to give enough time for you to give your contact information. And oh, thank you. Seat, Ukraine. Yes. So, let's start yes. Yes. off with Darian and that might be the last question.
2: Okay. And the person who um the person who mentioned that Matilda Ziegler article, if you can, you know, email or something, contact me, that would be great because I want to talk to you about that. Um okay, so
1: Okay, Darian, um, is still am to talk?
2: Am I unmuted? Oh. Yes, you are. Okay. Um just real quickly, I, too, have written a book um, called Speak Up for Yourself, Get What You Need and Feel Good About It, and it's on Amazon and in Kindle, and
4: hopefully we'll be on Bookshare and Audible sometime. Um, and who are you? I am Darian Slayton okay. Fleming. Thank I've, you. I yeah, know you, you, but
2: we don't know each other well, but um, I um, have written a children's story, and um, I don't want to self-publish, and I don't know how to get it published. Can you get So, Yeah, my advice is um, uh, read Writer's Market. You can sign up for an online, I haven't had a subscription for a few years, I forget how much it is, but it's not terribly expensive, uh, writersmarket.com and study the markets for children's. I do want to give my contact info before we run out of time, Um, Is that that okay? That's fine. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So um, if people want to email me, I'll give the email address that's easy to remember. DKK33709. So DKK33709 at Outlook.com. I've been looking at Twitter a lot lately. I created an account a decade ago and never sent a single tweet, but I am planning to do that and some people have been messaging me back and forth so if you want to contact me via twitter it's at kendrick insight all one word kendrick insight k-e-n-d-r-i-c-k i-n-s-i-g-h-t um and of course you know the books are available from national braille press nbp.org and what else so are there any i just wanted to get that in monica before we ran out of time is there another question
0: or uh, where? uh this is annie i just wanted to give out my email address to the person who had the question about the book covers
1: is that okay, okay. of course
0: okay so my email address is a-n-n-i-e c for charlie m for mike s for sam the number six the number four at gmail.com. So it's AnnieCMS64 at gmail.com.
1: And there's about a minute left and I'm going to give the closing CEU code. All right. It's four, capital C, well, C as in cover, nine, four, B as in brown. That is four, C as in cover, nine, four, B as in brown, and let me see if there's any more. Hands.
0: Before we go, Deborah, I want to thank you so much. I learned so much about you, about um, who you are, um, your passion, and your writing. And I just, you know, want to thank you. And Friends in Art wants to thank you for agreeing to be our uh, guest speaker and presenter today. Well,
2: thank you so much. It's been fun and it's been a privilege but i think you do still owe me lunch <laughs>
1: uh, yeah i
4: do next, on next that, year,
1: next year. On that <laughs> note, i will end the meeting now to prepare for the next All session
7: All right. You, great. Everybody. bye everybody Thank Have a okay.
1: great thanks monica you're
0: welcome